It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. We're back for another edition of the Giants huddle podcast. John Schmelk with you, today's guest. From the NFL matchup show on ESPN and, of course, NFL Films, he is Greg Cussell. But first, just a reminder, you can find the Giants huddle podcast on the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of this show and all of our programs at Giants.com slash podcast, on the Giants mobile app, and on all your favorite podcast platforms. And now we're joined by our guest. He is Greg Cassell. You see him on the NFL Matchup Show on ESPN. And, of course, you also know him from his years at NFL Films. No one watches more film than he does. Greg, we usually have you at the Combine. Now we get you a little bit closer to the draft. Hope you've survived what's been a very, very odd last 13 months since we saw you last. Yeah, no, uh, I was just happy we played football this year, as I'm sure we all were, John. So, uh, you know, at least it feels somewhat normal. I know it's not. And I know for people that have unfortunately had tragedies, it's certainly not normal. But I guess at least in the NFL world, it, it seems a little more normal. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we get closer to normal as as we go along here. Let's start with the Giants, Greg, because, you know, we were a little bit taken aback at how aggressive they were in free agency and the number of moves that they made. So we'll start with a general question, your overall reaction to what the Giants did do in free agency. Well, I thought, thought they did some good things offensively. Uh, I think getting Kenny Galladay was big. Um, you know, the, the whole issue of what's a number one receiver, that that's just a, a – a term that's a platitudinous term but you're obviously dealing with a big physical wide out uh which is something they've not had and if you pair that with a a player i like in darius slayton who certainly brings the speed element i think you have two receivers that give you dimensions and then you end up still with sterling Shepard, who's probably now best he's a slot receiver and i think that's where he goes um I guess they signed John Ross as well. I'm sure for most people, John Ross is someone who's viewed as a bust, but uh, he's never seemingly been healthy. He still can run. So that that's just one of those signings that we'll see. Um, you know, you're hoping Barkley is back and healthy and can play a full season. That's been a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, no question about it. When you talk about a guy like Galladay, how can somebody with his skill set, and you watch his tape, Greg, I mean, the contested catches, he goes flat out horizontal to make a lot of these catches. Maybe not the most separation, but the guy makes big plays and he makes contested catches. How can somebody like that help an offense and help a quarterback? Well, I think the league in many cases now, particularly with an influx of bigger receivers, uh, and and there'll be smaller ones as well, and that's a fascinating part of this draft. But overall, there's been a lot more big receivers in recent years. They tend, John, not to separate – and create windows for quarterbacks versus man coverage in the same way that smaller, quicker receivers do. So your point about contested catches is true. Now, what that means for a quarterback is a quarterback then has to be willing to turn it loose. Uh, And very often that's something that they have to work on as well, because they'll see a receiver like Holiday, who quote unquote may not be open the way a a quarterback normally sort of associates open in his mind, but he is open. You know, obviously Galladay just came from Detroit with a quarterback who was as much of a turn it loose guy as any we've seen in Matthew Stafford. He was going to make the throws. So that's something for Daniel Jones. We don't know the answer to that because Daniel Jones has not had that kind of receiver in his short time in the league, but you have to throw the ball to Galladay, even if something in your brain says, well, he's not really open because he's, 
six three, six four. He's a big body and he makes a lot of contested catches. We'll get back to free agency, but I think this is a good time to talk about Daniel. And I guess the one thing I'll say, Greg, because we talked about this when the Giants drafted him. The one thing he had at Duke is that, frankly, his receivers didn't get open, really, because they weren't, you know, top right. recruits or anything like that. And as we've seen, and we've seen the bad side of it, too, with, with some of the interceptions, he's not afraid to throw the ball into tight windows and, and try to make some big-time throws in the NFL. No question. So I would think that this would be a boon to him if he's able to take advantage of his tools, right? Yeah, without question. And I think that that's something that he's going to have to do uh, consistently. And that has to become part of their offense. I mean, look, if you look at Galladay, and again, nowadays in the NFL, you line up with receivers in, in different spots. But essentially, Galladay, to me, is a big X. And, and, and the boundary X is the single receiver to the short side of the field. They very often get man coverage, even in a zone concept, because the coverage, more often than not, is cheated to the wide side of the field, particularly if, if you have three receivers to the wide side of the field. So that boundary X receiver, very often he does not create a ton of separation, particularly on a vertical type route concept. And you've got to throw the football because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for your 6'3", 6'4", wide out who weighs 220 pounds matched up against maybe a six foot corner. Maybe it's a 5'11 corner. You know, you're looking for that matchup advantage. The NFL is a game of matchups, particularly to the boundary side of the field. How do you view, Greg, where Daniel Jones is now heading into his third year? Because if you look at the numbers, and I think, and it's not their fault. People that from the outside looking, you see, oh, 12 touchdown passes in the second year. Daniel Jones must have had a terrible year. But then if you watch him, his turnovers went way down. Right. His deep accuracy went way up. His efficiency went up. So to me, I think despite the fact the counting numbers and the production went down and look, that counts. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I do think you saw a lot of improvements in, in the little things. So your thoughts on where he is heading into year three, the most important things he needs to improve on to take that next step. Well, I still feel like Daniel Jones can be a quality quarterback. Um, I thought he was really good as a rookie. I know he turned it over. He had fumbles, but I'm talking about, dropping back, throwing the football. I thought there was a certain amount of poise to his play. I still think he plays like that. You know, numbers are, are one of those things. They can, they can happen for many different reasons. Um, but I think in an ideal world, what, what Daniel Jones is at this point in his career is a quarterback that's a piece of an offense. Now, obviously, when you draft a player sixth, you ultimately want him to be more than that. But they really haven't been in a position where he can be more than that because they lost Barkley last year. So they had an inconsistent run game. Um, they did not have quality wideouts throughout the season. Um, they did not get a ton of production from the tight end position. So at the end of the day, I think with Jones, you're still counting on him to be a really efficient executor and ball distributor. That's essentially what he is, John. Yes, does he have some movement ability? He's not a statue. And then that's a nice trait to have, obviously. But I think you're looking for him to be really efficient within the context of a complete and multidimensional offense. So the way I look at it then, Greg, and I'll get to Barkley in a second, but to me, this offensive line is going to be really important this year to bringing the best out of Daniel Jones. Because as you said, while he has great straight ahead speed, we saw him with some of those design runs, he's not the most elusive guy in the pocket. So 
The Giants right now, at least as of now, we'll talk about this with the draft, I suppose, are going into the year next year with a pretty young offensive line group. Nick Gates, oh, first year at center last year. Andrew Thomas was a rookie. Shane Lemieux, a rookie fifth-round pick. He was a starter. They let go of Kevin Zeitler. So does that mean it's Will Hernandez at right guard? We don't know quite yet. Are they going to trust Matt Parrott, who had a redshirt year last year, to be a starting right tackle? Is going to be Nate Solder. So I think that's why on offense, I think we have the most questions. When you view an offensive line like this, and you're Dave Gettleman, you're Joe Judge, how do you balance giving the young guys a chance to seize these jobs and win them, but at the same time have a baseline level of play where you got to give Daniel Jones a chance to be successful? Yeah, that's a hard deal. I mean, because you look at someone like Matt Parrott was a four-year starter at Connecticut, played both right tackle and left tackle. I like his skill set. I like his traits. I'm sure the Giants do too. He's a big kid. He's got athleticism. He obviously played some snaps last year at right tackle. He was in that rotation. I guess it was with Cameron Fleming, who he rotated yep. with yep. last year. And there were some games he played 25 snaps, some games he played seven snaps. So in an ideal world, John, you'd like him to win that job and to really take a step up because the athletic traits are there and size, which he has a ton of, that's an athletic trait. So you'd love to feel that, hey, you've got Andrew Thomas, your, your high pick at left tackle, improving. You've got paired at right tackle stepping in. You'd like to feel you're set there. Um, but at some point, you do have to let younger players play. You know, Hernandez is only going into his I believe fourth year. Fourth correct? year yep. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, Gates, uh, he was a free agent and, and he was actually a tackle in Nebraska. If memory serves yep. me correctly. Mm -hmm. um, they, they signed Zach Fulton. Did they not? Uh, they did. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, he started in this league. Um, I, I, I haven't studied him and graded, you know, every snap of his, I've certainly seen him play. You know, I think he's one of those guys that, you hope you get the better part of Fulton more consistently because uh, I think he's been up and down, but you're counting on young players that you've drafted. I mean, don't forget Thomas was a first round pick paired was a third round pick. You're counting on both those players to be quality starters with Thomas in particular to be an all pro type at some point sooner than later. Yeah, and I think that'll be a big guide here. And then Saquon's the last part of this formula, right? So I, I guess the way Jason Garrett likes to run his offense, Greg, is they're going to want to try to run this ball and have everything in the pass game come off that run, right? I mean, think of it this way. And I don't know what Jason Garrett's going to do. None of us know that for sure. But think of the Cowboys in the early years of, of um, Prescott when the offense ran through uh, Zeke Elliott. And, and Prescott was he was a distributor. He was a, he was an executor. Now, obviously he had movement ability, but Jones can do that a little bit as well. I think ultimately that's what they'd like their offense to look like, you know, certainly at this point in time until Jones continues to develop ideally and becomes the kind of quarterback that you can ask to do more and more in terms of volume throws. Cause that's really what you're talking about. You, what you're talking about is how many times by choice do you ask Daniel Jones to drop back? Let's assume the games are relatively close and you're not in games where he has to drop back 45 times. You don't want to be in those games. So, John, the question becomes for the Giants, for Joe Judge, Jason Garrett is what's the ideal formula? How many times by choice do you want Daniel Jones to drop back? My guess is they do not want that number to exceed 30. Yeah, I agree. I think that's an ideal formula. And I think that's how their offense ran last year, especially since the defense 
played particularly well. They were a top 10 defense last year, Greg, and I think this is a good time to, to angle there. And one of the big needs they had last year was finding a second cornerback. They kind of had a, a rotating group of guys, Isaac Yadam, Ryan Lewis, Julian Love at the end of the year. Right in and out of that second quarterback spot, not ideal. So they go out there, they bring in a Dory Jackson. Is he going to give Patrick Graham some more freedom now? Because I think we both thought when Patrick Graham got to the Giants, he's coming from a, a man scheme everywhere he's been. But the Giants played almost exclusively zone, especially late in the year last year. So is Jackson going to be allow him to open up the playbook a little bit, having that second more consistent starting corner? It's a great question. I mean, they started the season playing man. I believe their opener was Pittsburgh, was it yep. not? Mm -hmm. And Pittsburgh killed them when they were in man. And yep. they, they, they started to move towards zone. You're right. They played a ton of zone last year. Um, you know, Dory Jackson obviously was a former, I believe, first round pick. Obviously is very fast. He's small. He was very up and down in Tennessee. Hurt a lot. That That's a question for this offseason. I don't I wish I had an answer for you, John. I wish I, you know, had a crystal ball and could be really smart about it. I think they would like to do that, but I think that's a question mark. I think Adoree Jackson, his ability to line up on a weekly basis and match up man-to-man -man against quality wideouts is a bit of a question right now. I mean, obviously they signed him, they view him as an upgrade, but I think even they would have to admit, which they won't, they don't, you know, teams don't say this stuff. I think deep down they would have to admit they're a, they hope, but they don't know. What do you think about the general strategy that we've seen a lot of teams take? And we'll, I think the Giants have two, or it could just be the market dictating it too. I don't know what they're thinking, but they've kind of focused in on the secondary here. They brought Logan Ryan in in the last year, signed him to a long-term contract. Uh, he can play safety. He can play a little bit of corner too. Uh, they have Jabril Peppers back there. They used a second round pick on Xavier McKinney last year. They paid James Bradbury last year. Now Jackson, uh, Darnay Holmes was a <coughs> mid-round pick last year. Kind of the focus yeah. on the secondary now, Greg, instead of the pass rush and trying to slow down opposing pass games. Well, that's up to this point. There's, you know, there's a draft coming up. We'll see what they do. Of course. Um, you know, that that's become the question over the last number of years as to quote unquote, what's more important pass rush or coverage. Now, obviously in an ideal world, you want to be able to be good at both. Um, the game has changed. There's a lot more quick game. There's a lot more three-step drop. There's a lot more five-step drop. So the pass rush, not that you don't want pass rush, obviously there's still third and long situations where you need pass rush, but overall, I think there's, an evolving nature and changing nature to the game where there's a lot more quicker throws and those throws need to be defended by your secondary, not by your pass rush because your pass rush is not going to get there. So I don't know if that's the thought process, you know, only they could tell you that, but I'm just speaking to, to the evolution of the NFL game as a whole. Yeah, no question about it. We've seen the Patriots invest that way and other teams do it too. How about Leonard Williams? He's a guy that the Giants had franchised last year. They decided to bring him back long-term. I don't know if anybody expects him to get 11 and a half sacks again, defensive tackles. I did a study, Greg, I think in the last six years, there's only one defensive tackle that's had double-digit sacks more than once. It won't take you long to guess which one that is. <laughs> because I think everyone knows who that is. Might that be Aaron Donald? I'm yes, just guessing. Yes, it would be. Big surprise, yeah. I know. <laughs> so your thoughts on Williams' impact, you know, can, you know, he's running out the Giants a pass rusher. How do you build around that and build a pass rush around a guy like Williams, which I think the Giants actually did pretty successfully last year. They had over 40 sacks in the year, which I think was better than what a lot of expectations were. 
Well, they're a multiple front defense, John, as you know. They don't just line up in their sub with four across and it's the same four, yep. you know, two defensive ends, two D tackles. Williams played all over the front. They're going to continue to do that, I'm sure. I think that's built in to Graham. Uh, his philosophy he comes from Belichick. Belichick's always been a multiple front defense. You know, the whole Belichick philosophy, and, and of course, Patrick Graham can develop his own philosophies as well, but the Belichick philosophy has always been multiple fronts and coverage consistency. So you don't play a ton of coverages, but you have multiple fronts. So I think when you talk about Leonard Williams, yes, I guess he's listed as a D tackle per se, but he played on the inside. He played on the outside. I would expect them to do the same thing. I kind of like the Ryan Anderson signing. I thought that was under the radar. I liked him coming out of Alabama. He wasn't a true, true edge rusher, you know, in terms of bend the edge, get low to the ground, that motorcycle lean, as we like to call it. But I think he's a quality player. And I'm really curious to see how they see him within the context of this multiple front defense. So I think that's the important point, though. They're not just going to line up Williams in one place. What did you think? Greg, about the general job that Joe Judge and his coaching st staff did last year. I think a lot of people were very impressed with what he got out of the roster that he had in his first year as an NFL head coach. I would agree with that. Um, you know, this was not a great roster a year ago. They know that. That's why they made a ton of free agent signings. They're just trying to get better. I mean, at some point, you have to have some talent. I think coaching is extremely important, but at some point to compete, you have to have some talent. And they've tried to do that. I personally think they've made some pretty good signings. You know, we don't know until they start playing. Um, I think so much, as we spoke about a little bit ago, is dependent on this O-line. You know, because if you look at this offense, you're dealing with a quarterback who was a sixth pick in a draft. You're dealing with, with a back who was a second pick in a draft. The big free agent signing was Galladay. You know, you, you drafted Andrew Thomas. Fourth. He, he, he was fourth, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, they're addressing issues. Now these players, they have to perform. You know, it's, that's just the way it is in this league. And you have to give guys opportunities. That's why I was talking about uh, Parrot at right tackle. He's a third-round pick. When you draft a third-round tackle, he's got to play by his second year. You know, so th they need these guys to play. So now it, it, it comes down to that. These were the players they drafted. So they have to play, and that's, that's where they are right now. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Hey, Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants branded debit card security features and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to 250 bucks when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Don't miss it on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com suites for more information. Yeah, and they'll try to add more, pe more pieces in the draft this year, Greg. And uh, let's start here because we talked about the pass rush. They want to add an edge guy. Do you think, and I know my answer, my fans have heard me rant about this for, for weeks, so I'm not going to waste their time with it here, but do you think any of the guys in this edge rusher class are true top 10 worthy players in a normal year in an NFL draft? I think one is, but he's got 
issues that will drop him out of the top 10. But Let me I guess, Jalen Phillips. Yes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think Jalen Phillips is the best edge pass rush prospect in this draft, particularly in a 4-3 front, because he's a defensive end. I think he came in at 6'5 and a half, 260. You know, when I watched his tape, I thought to myself, God, a guy like Mike Zimmer would just be drooling over, you know, Jalen Phillips. That's the perfect fit. You know, the Sean McDermott would be drooling over Jalen Phillips. But he's had some issues uh, both. And again, this is just with what I read. I, You know, I don't interview these kids. I'm just sitting here watching the tape, John. Um, uh, you know, I know that some view him as having character issues. I know he's had some medical issues. But I think if he was a totally clean player, I think he'd be a top 10, top 12 guy. All right, so let's break it down now. Let's throw the quarterbacks out, Greg. We'll, we'll, we'll throw them in the, in the bin for now. We'll attack them at the very end, just in terms of where the Giants might pick. How do you see the non-quarterbacks in this class? Who are the elite talents to you that the Giant fans should be sitting there with their hands folded at well, 8, 8 p.m. on a Thursday saying, please fall to us at number 11, guys. Please. Oh, well, that, that's hard to know. I mean, <laughs> I'm not good at that stuff, John. I, I would tell you that I think the two – Best, I guess, if you're if you're pushing quarterbacks aside, I think that um, Kyle Pitts and Jalen Waddle, based on my tape study, are the two most fascinating players in this draft. Why is that? Um, they won't be there at eleven. Why is that? Well, why Pitts are they the is, most fascinating to you? Pitts is. It doesn't matter what two letters you put before or after his name. Pitts is a receiving weapon. Uh, and I think in today's NFL, with the multiple offensive formations and the fact that players who are quote unquote tight ends line up anywhere, I think Pitts is is remarkable. He's a freak. I mean, I saw today because he's having his pro day that they put up his numbers relative to Mike Evans and his athletic numbers are better than Mike Evans. And it so, wasn't close, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So you can you can do whatever you want with Pitts. He's a freak. Um, Jalen Waddle to me is Tyree kill. And I think we see the value of Tyree kill in today's NFL. And I think the game is going to move toward that. And it has already with shorter receivers, smaller receivers who you can line up anywhere. You use them on jet sweeps, orbit reverses, the multiple wide receiver screen game, you get them in space. They can win vertically. I think Jalen Waddle fits that to a T there's many receivers in the draft like that, uh, they're not all – Waddle's the best of the bunch, but you have Amari Rodgers, you've got Kadarius Toney, you've got Elijah Moore of Mississippi State. Um, you know, you, there's a bunch of those kinds of receivers who I now think have far more value to me anyway based on my watching the NFL game and seeing how it's evolved. This is the debate we've had here on our various shows. You have Waddle ahead of Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase – I guess my question would be, why do you think he's better in addition to what you already spoke to about well, him? Well, Devonta Smith is an outlier. He's 170 pounds. Yep. So you have to understand what he is. He's a really good receiver. I mean, that's not the point. But he's he's long, thin. He's silky smooth. He's linear. He's not loose-hipped in, in the way you think of smaller, lighter receivers. He's tall and angular. So he's... He's an outlier. He's six feet plus and 170 pounds. So to me, he's a movement Z. You need to get him in motion. You need him off the ball. You need him with free access. I watched eight Alabama games from 2019. 
and probably 10 Alabama games from this year because they had so many players, obviously, John. I felt like I was watching them. You know, I think I would wake up in the middle of the night saying, I have to go watch Alabama again now, you know. Um, and there were snaps where he was the boundary X, which means he's on the line of scrimmage where he got pushed out of bounds by college corners. Now, it didn't happen 20 times, so I don't want people to think, oh, you know, but, you know, it did happen. And these are college corners. So to me, I think he could be a really good receiver, but I think you need him to be able to freely release off the line of scrimmage to get into that stride length because they're, he's almost like running backs that we describe as having kind of a darting slashing style. He runs routes that way. He's not a sink your hips, you know, juke kind of route runner because he's so long and high cut. How about Jamar Chase? Well, I love Jamar Chase. I think, uh, I mean, as a pure receiver, I think he's the best. Um, you know, when I felt that way, I watched him last summer um, when I was home, as many of us were. Um, I watched him last summer. I think I watched, you know, eight or nine games. And I think Jamar Chase, as a pure receiver, is the best wide receiver in this draft class. I, he will not be there at 11. Yeah, no, he will not be. I agree with you 100%. Uh, how about the two top offensive linemen? Do you see Rashawn Slater as an offensive tackle? Do you see him more as a guard? And Penny Sewell, I think it's interesting. I think you look at him and you see the measurables and you understand what he can be, but I think there's a question as to what he is right now. Do you think that's All right. fair? Well, I'll say this because I, you know, I don't want to say anything out of school. Sewell is the one guy I have not watched yet. Okay, okay fair enough. No, so I'm, I'm not going to comment on him. I've watched every other... I've watched probably 15 offensive tackles. The guys who didn't play this year, I've got this thing in my brain, John, where it's like, oh, do I really want to do that, you know, today? <laughs> so I just haven't gotten to Sewell yet. But I did do Slater. You have to think, here's the way I think of it. And I'm, I don't want people to think I'm an offensive line guru. I'm not. You know, people I know who are offensive line guys tell me I know more than I probably think. But I just, it's one of those positions I just, you know, I do my best, you know. Um I would say that you got to line up with 64 offensive tackles every week and they're not all going to look like Joe Thomas. Yep. You know, not everybody's going to be long with sweet feet. So you still got to line up with offensive tackles. So this, this thing now where everybody looks at an offensive tackle who does not have sweet feet and does not have ideal length and says he's a guard. Well, in that case, you're going to have two offensive tackle prospects. So I think you got to put guys at offensive tackle you know, Slater to me is an offensive tackle. Vera Tuck is an offensive tackle. You got to you gotta line them up there. Now, to me, of the guys I've seen, and everyone but Sewell, basically, I like Christian Darasaw as the, as the top offensive tackle prospect in this draft class. That's the way I see it right now. Interesting. And you think he would be worth the pick at 11 for the Giants if they want to go in that direction? I mean, I think they're going to go with Thomas and Parrott as their right. – I mean, that's – I think that's what they're going to do. No, and I, I frankly, I agree. With I mean, you. and again, I, I'm not making a judgment as to what I think they should or shouldn't do. But I think when you addressed in, in, in the last draft, the tackle position at number one and at number three, unless the guy at 11 is the guy you have is the third best player on your draft board. And we don't know what their draft board looks like. And we're not going to know what their draft board looks like. That's different. But if, if you pick at 11, and the first offensive tackle is the ninth best guy on your board. I don't think you draft an offensive tackle. That's just my opinion of how the draft works. But, you know, what do I know? <laughs> All <laughs> right, last one on the draft, and I'll get you one generic one before you say goodbye, Greg. Thanks again for the time. Um, best defensive players in this draft, in your opinion, that you think could really be impact players um, in this year's class? 
Oh, I've seen so many, John. Give me some names. Uh, okay, I'll throw out some a bunch for you. Uh, Sertan, Parsons. All right. I, I, got I, I think we can start with those two and, and maybe even J.C. Horn. I'll throw in the mix there for you if you want. All right. Uh, if we're going to look at corners, um, again, this is in the eye of the beholder. Um, I like Patrick Sertan uh, the most, but again, it's not as if, you know, he's way up here and everybody's dead. You know, I like Sertan. I think the kid was born to line up and play mirror match press man. He just looks like it's the easiest thing he's ever done in his life. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I think Farley is, and again, putting aside the second back surgery, who knows what that means and how teams will respond to that. But I think Farley is a better, pure athlete than Sertan. You know, he's built their height and weights very similar, but Farley is built much more powerfully. He's a more powerful looking athlete. Um, so some are going to say that his ceiling will be higher because he just looks like more of an athletic stud. Um, Horn is another guy. You know, and all these guys can play press. The only concern I'd have with Horn, another guy with really good traits overall, is he tended to be very handsy and grabby. And that's going to have to change in the NFL. It will have to change or he's going to get called for penalties. So I'm not saying it can't change. It will change. The question is how quickly. But you're dealing with three guys. Newsom's another guy who's played a lot of mirror match press man. Very smooth player. Um the, the bottom line is in the NFL, and I know the Giants played a ton of zone. I don't think Graham wants to play that high a percentage. I don't think anybody does. I think corners in the NFL, the baseline is you're going to have to play man coverage at some point and be able to do it well. I should ask you about the quarterbacks very quickly. How many do you think go off the board before the Giants? Uh, I, know you, I, I, I know you're not in the prediction business. I know that. I'm putting you in a bad spot. I know. They're quarterbacks, John. Come on. They're okay, well, how, okay so I'll, I'll ask you this. Do you think – based on what you've seen from the class that the talent justifies that many quarterbacks going off the board ahead of the giants. How about I ask it that way? Well, um, look, no quarterback comes into the NFL as a finished product. So you're, you're drafting a quarterback based on what you believe he will become and how you see the league trending. Um, you know, Lawrence is obviously a big kid, very good arm, a um, little bit of a body thrower. I'm curious to see how he handles inside pressure. He tends to rush his mechanics a bit when, when he faces inside pressure. We've seen that in the playoffs the last two years, and he becomes a little scattershot. Um, Wilson is fascinating in that he's has what you look for. He's got a live arm, not a power arm, but a live arm. He's got movement ability. There was only one game this year in which he was in an environment that he'll see more often in the NFL where he faced pressure. That was against Coastal Carolina. He did not handle himself particularly well. Um, Trey Lance, to me, is a very fascinating guy because he played in an offense where he played under center a ton. He's the most refined and advanced when it comes to the conventional play action pass game, turning your back to the defense. And then having to snap your head around, that's a learned trait, John, because amazingly enough in the NFL, the defense is not in the same place after you snap your head around as it was before you turned your head around. They actually move, believe it or not. So it's a learned trait to understand how to respond to that. So he's the most refined and advanced in that regard. Fields is just phenomenally gifted. Um, 
he's almost like a just a little smaller Cam Newton. He's phenomenally gifted, but the, there are some questions about the speed with which he plays. Is he a little deliberate? The tape shows everything I'm saying is a function of tape, by the way. These, this, this is not just my opinion spouting. This is, I've watched at least eight games of every one of these guys. Some of them I watched in 2019 tape as well. You know, so there are questions a little bit about his field vision. Sometimes that's a tough question to answer because you don't know exactly how he's coached in college and what he's asked to do. So you're responding to what the tape shows, but you don't know how he's coached. And then how about Mac Jones? You know, like a lot of people think, oh, third pick overall, Kyle Shanahan's all in. Look, I, I think I feel really good about that. He's going to be a pretty good NFL quarterback, Greg. I just don't know what the upside is there given right. his physical traits. Well, I think with Mac Jones, you, you have a decision to make. Unless you believe he's Tom Brady and I'm not, you know, and maybe there's teams who believe that because none of us know how teams think. Or Drew Brees, one or the other, right? Right, right, pick. exactly. <clears throat> Although Drew Brees was a great athlete. In, no, that's in, a good point. He was. You're career. right. Mac Jones is not a great athlete. So the question you would have to ask yourself about Mac Jones is, do you believe in today's NFL that the ability to move as a second reaction player, I'm not talking about design boots. I'm talking about moving in reaction to the defense. If you believe that that is now essential, and some teams will see it as essential, others may not. But if you believe it to be essential to play the position now, then Mac Jones is not your guy. If you don't believe it's essential and that you can work around it with whatever it is you do, then you might feel very strongly about Mac Jones. Look, I one of the reasons, in my view anyway, that the Tom Brady's, that Brady is Brady. One of the reasons, there's many reasons why Brady is Brady, obviously. But one of the reasons is as he played more and more, and, and don't forget the game changed. He's been playing for so long, but he wins before the snap of the ball. And that takes time in the NFL. That you don't step in week one and win before the snap of the ball as a quarterback. So Brady can negate and, and minimize a lot of, the pressures, but even in the, in the NFC championship game, there was a pressure off his front side, unblocked. He threw the ball for grabs and Jerry Alexander intercepted it. You know, he didn't have anything else he could do there. Whereas if you have movement ability, you might have something else you could do. So you just have to decide how important that kind of movement is to you, because I don't care what Mac Jones 40 time was. He's not a great athlete. All right, final question, Greg, and I will preface this question by saying at this time last year, we all thought the Eagles and the Cowboys were the front runners for the NFC. <laughs> the other two teams were playing catch up. And then, of course, at the end of the year, it's completely flopped from where we thought it was going to be. So just you're early, way too early, and I'm not holding you to anything you say. Look at what the NFC East is and how it might break down in 2021. Oh, boy, that's a tough call. I mean, I think the Cowboys actually have a pretty good team. And I, I, I was really, I was kind of disappointed that, that Dak Prescott couldn't play because I think he's really developing into a high level quarterback. And now coming off a major injury, who knows from what I hear, you know, we know he's a great kid and he's working really hard, but I, I really thought he was developing into truly a high level player and they've got a lot of weapons. Um, I guess their the, defense, man. I know. 
<laughs> I know it's it. It was a major issue. You know, every team is flawed. Let's put it that way. It's a very difficult division as we as we head into April. You know, in April Fools here, it's a very difficult division to handicap right now because every team has concerns, and we still have a draft, so we don't know how those concerns will be addressed. Now, let's just hope that one of the teams manages to get over 500 this year. That would be nice to see. Greg, good stuff, my friend. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Best of luck. And, and tell the folks where they can find you at work, where they can find you on Twitter, anything else that you're up to. Well, actually, I'm doing this thing, and it's coming out tomorrow, both as an app and as a guide, which will continually be updated for a company called FantasyPoints.com. I'm their draft guy. So, uh, they'll probably be when all said and done, because I'm still watching tape. We're still a month from the draft. It'll probably be 170, 175 players that I end up evaluating um, in, in great detail. I don't know, John, if you've seen my evaluations, you probably have. Yep. I do them in, in great detail. I don't watch, you know, one or two games. I don't watch YouTube highlights. I sit and watch full games. Well, we look forward to it. And Greg, we obviously, the reason we have you on because we, we respect the hell out of all the evaluation and the work that you put into it. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right, John. Appreciate it. That's Greg Cassell, again, the ESPN NFL matchup show, and you can find him in NFL Films as well, and you can find him and check out all his work. Does a great job. Thanks for listening to the Giants Huddle Podcast on the Giants Podcast Network, presented by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast. I don't know your favorite podcast platforms. If you're an Apple Podcast, please give a five-star positive review if you like what you hear. For Greg, I'm Schmelk. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle.